UK Motor Talk. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to yet another podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Good evening, good day, good morning, whatever time of day it is for you at home. I'm Graham. Hello and welcome. With typical brilliant timing and without revealing too much of what goes into these fantastically professional podcasts, we're recording this just before the F1 launches are about to happen. So there's lots that are coming. We've had all the the invites to these. Many of them have been embargoed, which means we can't talk to you about them. Actually, but we can talk to you about them because they've already been launched. Well, we've seen the uh, the Haas in inverted commas, such as it is. I think it's uh, it's definitely a um, a computer generated mock up, and I, I think they've had to uh, to make some last minute changes to it. Cause if uh, if you look at the the odd intricacies of the suspension, there's there's a very weird bit of Photoshop. It's it's not not quite like one of those magic puzzles where it's a set of stairs that goes down and down and down and down, and when you look at it, it doesn't physically work. MC Asia. Um, that's the one. But there's uh, there's definitely a little bit about it. I think somebody had to change something at the last minute because uh, all the teams, uh, you know, we'll get all the launches and the livery reveals. Um, but for the actual cars themselves, I, I think we're going to have to wait until, well, possibly until Bahrain, until we know what the cars actually properly look like. So I think the mm. information coming out of Barcelona is, is maybe going to be sketchy at best. And I think there will be changes uh, between the two, even though they're only a couple of weeks apart. But I mean, I'm I'm rather irked by the FIA because we did ask them to uh, to bring everything forward so that we could be as topical as possible uh, <laughs> and would have been able in this podcast to review all of them. But the view seemed to be they couldn't afford to upset Lewis anymore. Um, so, um, you know, they've, they've stuck with their original dates. Either that or the Bahrainis have put even more money in the pot to downgrade Barcelona, which I suspect is nearer the reality. It'd be unusual for them to make unpopular decisions during the F1, though, wouldn't it? Um, I'm sure <laughs> that that'd be fine. Compared to, to what happened last season, I reckon we'd, uh, we'd be OK if they just wanted to shift it forward a day or so for us. That's, that's yeah, no small problem. a small fish, really. It's a small fare to, to worry about. Nothing, uh, nothing quite so major. I reckon that'd be fine. Lewis has apparently been in the factory for a couple of days in the Mercedes factory but uh, I didn't think it took that long to pick up your P45 but there you go obviously uh, <laughs> I'm an au fait with driver contracts well, I think he'd uh, he'd posted on uh, on Twitter the other day Lewis hadn't he uh, I'd been away but now I'm back or uh, yes. words to that effect so I think he's Indeed. been in the Grand Canyon the whole time so that maybe explains the lack of social media posts because I don't think you get much signal at the bottom of the Grand Canyon <laughs> do you but he's uh, he's obviously disappeared to uh, take stock and uh, and find himself or switch off or just just maybe try and process what happened at the end of last year but it's um, uh, a few of his ex-teammates have always said an angry Lewis is a fast Lewis and, uh, mm. and if ever you did get one over on him in uh, in qualifying uh, or even practice sessions or a race he'd come back the very next session and and he'd have just raised his game um, so it's uh, if, if Mercedes can bolt together a good car as they they've had a reasonable habit of doing in the last few years then uh, I think I think we might see Lewis on uh, on rather good form I think so I'm certainly hoping that that's the case and and the uh, competition between the two leading teams would be nice if there were three leading teams if somebody else joined the fray so that uh, it played out uh, in a more interesting manner through the season but certainly I would hope some of the uh, heat in uh, between various team bosses 
and between some of the drivers might be uh, moderated a little bit. I gather even at this late stage there is talk of um, uh, no longer broadcasting FIA conversations between the race director, the scrutineers, etc., etc., um, and the team bosses, which I, I thought was a pretty stupid idea anyway. Um, but then these things were in the past uh, sorted out without... Uh, needing to go to air on them. I think there's still a channel of communication, um, but as I understand it, that's not going to air, and the race director will, if it is still the same gentleman, will be supported by uh, uh, and at least one assistant, perhaps two, who knows. Well, I think that's probably quite sensible, because if you are in the middle of directing a Formula One race, you've probably got a bit on your plate. Uh, mm. I think one thing that highlighted that was uh, was Toto saying, you know, Michael, I sent you an email. Did you read this? No, Toto, I don't check my emails during a race. I've, I've got one or two other things going on at the moment. The amount of multitasking uh, you're mm. expected to do. I think to have a, yeah, a, a buffer or a filter for what gets through and what doesn't get through. Or it might just be an answer phone, to be fair. You know, the uh, welcome to the Tesco mobile voicemail service for Michael Massey. Is not available at the moment. Please leave your message after tone. And you know, a, a race kicks off, and he has three hundred and forty-two missed calls and three hundred and seventeen voicemails. It'll take him a while to catch up on it afterwards. But is is it too much for one person? I mean, Charlie seemed to to cope reasonably well with it. Well, but quite so. I think, Charlie I think did. it was rather a dis different um, personality, and I think there was a rather different level of respect that yeah. went on between the teams, the drivers, and Charlie compared to the teams, the drivers, and Michael Massey. I mean, it's quite clear that the, if if Charlie was a rugby referee, um, then Michael Massey is most definitely a football referee with the amount of badgering and hounding that goes on. Um, so whether whether it's just the teams and, and the managers and the drivers who are just pushing their luck to see what they could get away with and, and it's almost got out of hand, you think, oh, well, I did that and got away with it. So in Formula One, everybody is paid to push the envelope uh, as far as they can. That's that's literally their job description to maximise absolutely everything you can. Um, and if, if you give any of the teams an inch, they will take a mile, they will take a double diffuser, they will take ballast, they will take... Uh, well, how how often does that uh, fuel flow sensor measure fuel flowing? Oh, every hundredth of a second, or every other hundredth of a second. Okay, so if every other other hundredth of a second we happen to find more fuel into it, no, that won't get picked up. Right, that's fine. We'll do that then. It's it's the it, the the sport as as the margins have become so fine, the marginal gains and where you need to look for them, you need to look for absolutely everything. So. Um, that that buffer and that that chain and and somebody filtering out the noise and the people shouting at him, uh, I think will will allow Michael or as you say whoever happens to be in charge of it able to make better decisions. You know to to make decisions that that matter to a world championship when you've got a couple of different people screaming at you is uh, is not easy. So yeah, I think a, a buffer is a, is a very good idea. Yeah, I I, I quite agree. I, I the, the difference I think with Charlie's position and uh, you know he was a strong character. He'd been there forever, and he had the ultimate big hitter backing him before that big hitter sort of retired because he was Bernie's man through and through. He was Bernie's original appointee. And if you picked a fight with Charlie, you picked a fight with Bernie. And that was not a smart thing to do at any time in F1. 
particularly if you needed his finance to float your team the following year, which did sometimes happen. So, um, well, we'll see. The, the Michael Massey situation, I believe, is um, to be resolved by Bahrain, uh, or in Bahrain, more accurately. Well, yeah, I think it's the, the, the Friday of Bahrain, isn't it? So it's uh, maybe a I little bit is. late, but we shall see. Anyway, I think uh, enough on uh, on Formula One. Bearing in mind, we've only had one Photoshop launch so far. Mm-hmm. So, moving on then from new cars to existing cars to new new cars, twenty twenty two. Is there anything exciting otherwise that's coming? I see actually the World Car Awards and the contenders for that, and these are decided by a huge list of journalists and unsurprisingly almost everything on it is an suv there's a surprise although not quite everything is it not quite the toyota gr86 i don't think qualifies as an suv it's quite an interesting and exciting car with plenty of technology built in i like these i think these are pretty cool skinny tires not a lot of power but a lot of fun and this Hmm. is of course the the subaru brz or brz um which i don't think we're actually getting this time around are we uh, don't think so. I think didn't Subaru pretty much entirely pull out of the UK market, or did they decide they suddenly wanted to double their sales? I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that anyone really knows what's happening with Subaru. But apart from re uh, rebadging a few cars and doing some badge engineering, not quite so bad as Suzuki, perhaps who have got the Rav4 and the Corolla now under different names with a different badge on it. But they they were keen to to increase their sales in this country and dealer up. Had to, as far as I'm aware add a few more dealers to the list but it's difficult at the moment if you don't have a, a strong electric proposition um, so it's probably no surprise that there's some electric cars in the list we've got the Kia EV6 which I think is quite a cool looking thing there's the Arnic 5 which is of course the same car which is a retro looking thing although we weren't really massively keen on the quality on the interior of that and there is the Mustang Mach-E in there there is a separate top five, which I don't quite understand because there's a considerable overlap with one exception, which is uh, one of the Mercedes E-Class. Um, and that's an all-electric top five, which is also mm. announced today. To, to be completely honest, there's there's so much electric in the top five, you could run a small country, um, certainly a few houses off of it. You've got the Q4 e-tron, which is quite literally an SUV that happens to be electric with funky mirrors. And then there are a few other bits, aren't there? Cupra 4 Mental, which is, I, I think, quite cool, which is not an SUV, but not a car. So place that where you will. The Civic, which is quite literally OK. Oh, that's the, the, the type of car, I think, if you said draw a car to a child, it's the three box sort of shape that you would draw. I mean, it's not quite so offensively ugly in terms of the fact that before it looked like seven or eight different people have designed each each aspect of it and everyone had gone, yeah, that's fine, we'll just do that. This is a collaborative effort. Yeah, <laughs> well, what's the phrase? There's no such thing as a bad idea, but that's that, when you end up it. with cars like the Citroen C4 Cactus. Ugh, yeah. Yes, a visual delight. It's interesting, I think, the C4 Cactus, the earlier ones, all the barnacles on the door, it looked a bit different, and now it's just it, the, the current C4 Cactus looks like a, a car and not a particularly exciting one. Um, so... Fair play, it looked a bit different. If you're kind of niche, um, then maybe that's the car for you. Um, I can't say I'm massively excited by a lot that's in there, but I am pleased to see a, a, an ice-powered car in there for a start, or a few of them. Um, I will just actually go back to the Civic and say that very good car to drive in terms of Type R. Um, a, a phenomenal bit of kit, just maybe a bit too 
how should I say this? McDonald's tea tray? Would you, would you understand what I mean by that? You know, under the under the back wheels, handbrake on, and wah, 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 wah. Anyway, <laughs> listeners of a certain age would know exactly what I mean by this, and it's definitely something that none of us did in Mark III Fiestas and golfs and polos and things like that. Never happened for any of us. I, d- I don't know, really. I just... I'm finding it very difficult to get excited about a lot of a lot of cars that are currently out there. There's some of them very impressive. There's not a lot that really tickles the pickle. And I'm pleased, as I say, to see the GR86 as it is now, grr, 86, fighting amongst the, the, the candidates. Yeah, I think it does it does make a nice change to have something like that in there because I think that's uh the, the GR86 or BRZ is is one of the, the few cars on the market at the moment that I'd probably go out and buy with my own money and when I say with my own money money I'd saved up and empty the bank balance all in one go, you know, rather than on the monthly monthly payments. It never quite seems so bad if it's X pounds a month, does it? But it's it's a car for for driving, for enjoying. It's not not the most practical, not the most spacious, not the most comfortable, not the the best at anything in particular. But what it does do is what it wants to do, and that is be a car for driving, and it does it very well. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I really do like that out of all the other SUVs that are in there. And okay, SUVs serve a purpose, but still not as good as an estate car, I would argue. And, and I think most people, well, Certainly, everybody on this podcast would agree. Um, Agreed. But the uh, yeah, most of the lineup, they're all just a bit copy paste, aren't they? Yes, there's there's differences, but they all do kind of just look like a bunch of SUVs. And actually, if you took the badges off, I think I'd have a hard time telling them all apart at first glance without having another one to refer to. You know, I know the, right, the front ends on them are quite different, and the the Ionic Five is is the most different looking out of all of them, but the you know if the the car quiz of if they took a few close ups you know the the Kia EV6 if you look at the the front wheel and the arch arrangement over there is that looks very much like the Mustang Mackie and there's a bit on another one that looks exactly like one of the others and it's it's just you know do you need that many electric SUVs in car of the year but then i suppose what's been launched this year electric SUVs and that's it the one i think that is is quite intriguing that it's in there at all is the Genesis G70 you know, this is a selection of cars chosen by supposedly 120 of the top motoring journalists uh, worldwide. And generally speaking, the media have been very down on the Genesis. I mean, I drove a Genesis early on, quite liked it. It's not spectacular, but I quite liked it. Um, but I'm slightly surprised to see it in there when generally most uh, magazines have, have, have slagged it off. So... It just seems slightly anomalous. Mm. I think it probably highlights a point, actually, that was uh, flicking through the list, so I thought, oh, well, uh, I'll Google Genesis GV70, G70, whatever it is, and uh, in, in the Google suggested questions around the subject that, that you're searching for, uh, if you search Genesis GV70, people also ask, who makes Genesis GV70? <laughs> <laughs> so that that it's it's literally in the who makes the Volvo eight fifty, which it's literally there in the name. But I think that probably highlights it. Who oh, never heard of them? Um, which is uh, is maybe something Genesis need to overcome in this country. Well, they certainly will need to overcome it in this country. Are they going to become the next Infinity? 
If you remember when that Ooh. launched with a <laughs> with all two of their dealers or whatever it was, one in Birmingham, one somewhere else. That sold really, really well in the states, though, didn't it? It, yeah, the thing it is, was, it we... was it was leading its market sector for several years in the states. It just never took off here. I drove almost all of the the Infinities when they came into the country, and they were kind of they were what you'd expect from a posh and inverted commas Nissan, mm. um, with the same sort of switch gear and everything else that you kind of expect from, you know, a higher end Japanese car. There's still a lot of plastic I thought going on. They weren't particularly exciting to drive and they were relatively juicy. And I can't even remember what they were called, uh, but I drove back. There was the, the coupe, uh, the coupe one, which was, I think 300 brake horsepower V8, maybe I'm not sure. And it's about the only car I've ever driven that's tried to, actively kill me on the straight uh, I'd, I'd, I'd come off the uh, there's, there's a roundabout not too far from us a big roundabout that leads into a dual carriageway towards a bridge and uh, Jim will know exactly what I'm talking about and I came off the roundabout at quite a sedate pace in second gear as auto and just put my foot down and it just absolutely pooed itself and I fishtailed all the way down from the roundabout to this bridge just thinking, oh God, this is going to be an almighty crash in a minute. <laughs> and from one side to the other before it eventually decided, oh, okay, I've had enough with interfering with the various different electric aids or whatever that was trying to correct the fact that it was going from one side to the other. And I've just thought, oh, sod it, just put my foot down and it pulled itself straight. But terrifyingly antiquated to drive in that respect. <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I was not expecting it to, to kick out, you know, in the same way that you'd get maybe an old muscle car to do this but then to try and constantly correct itself. And you were just fighting it the whole way. It was terrifying to drive at anything like pace, unless it was completely dry. Um, on the performance note, though, there is a world performance car list with finalists. There's the LG e-tron GT, which is, which is pretty cool, though I think um, the Taycan's a better-looking thing, and it's obviously the same car underneath. There is the BMW M3 slash M4. Well, they're two different cars, really. Uh, appreciate one's got more doors. And both of them have the, it looks like a skull. You know, when you, if you imagine where a nose used to be and you've got the two big cavities, that's what the grill is. Absolutely hideous. I quite agree. The, the latest BMW grills are really. Ugh, what are they really thinking horrible. about? The rest of the car would be fine if they just changed the grill. Um, there's the 911 GT3, which will obviously be fantastic because all of the 911 GT series are fantastic. Uh, the Toyota. GR86 slash Subaru BRZ. How many categories is that car entered for? Because wouldn't it be nice if it won all of them? <laughs> it would be nice. A slightly old-fashioned internal combustion engine, two-seat, front engine, rear-wheel drive, manual car, wins everything. You've just specced an MX-5. <laughs> I think that'd be quite nice, wouldn't that it? That would be amazing. Like, high, highly unlikely, but it would be nice. And also the Golf GTI slash R. Again, completely different cars. One's all-wheel drive with a Haldex, obviously. The other's front-wheel drive. They drive completely differently. They look vaguely the same. And now, obviously, being the, the new version of the uh, of the Golf, it has a revised interior with a, a hopeless touchscreen, which is slow to react, and they've lost all the buttons, and doesn't feel mm. quite so nice inside. I quite liked the old R and the GTI. I looked at buying a GTI Estate, funny enough, when I bought the S3, uh, but they discontinued it. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure quite how they've grouped those two together because they're definitely two different cars. One car I was slightly disappointed not to see on there because we've we've spoken about SUVs and our indifference, but actually we all decided that if you had to have an SUV, then a Lamborghini Uranus would probably be the one to have. 
until the DBX 707 came out. And, and I look at that and I kind of actually really, really want one of those. It's, it's nice. the first time I've looked at an SUV and thought, yes, yes. Yeah, I can quite concur with that. A very interesting looking motor car. Can I also throw into the mix at this point, Alfa Romeo? Because obviously there's a Stelvio, which I think is a good looking thing. Brilliant car. Brilliant car. And there is now the Tonali, which I think is also a very good looking thing. The toenail. The toenail. I I would be quite happy to drive the Tonali. I think that is a a very good looking car. I make an exception for the Stelvio. It's one of my favourite cars. I Mm. think I've, I've driven two over the last two years. I mean, anybody that's got an MPV that does 176 and... 0 to 60 in, I don't know, five and a bit seconds. That's not really an SUV. It's a it's a sports car. It's just a big sports car, but brilliant handling. Wonderful car to drive. Okay, so there are there are a few exceptions to the rule. There always has to be an exception to the rule. And I think um, Alfa Romeo, one of those that, that, that capture your hearts, don't they? Yeah, in the same way as Maserati does. For me, anyway. I have to admit something. I do have to admit something at this point. Over the uh, the last week, I got rather taken by a Alfa Romeo Brera. And in secret, I've been messaging Dave saying, what do you reckon on this? You've been been having your own private conversation. I have, outside of the group. Because I I thought that potentially he could be the bad influence that would convince me to buy it. (laughs) A relatively low mileage, relatively high spec Brera that had uh, an owner from pretty much noon was in East, uh, East Sussex, so not too far away. And it was nice and it was blue and it had a pan roof and it was it was just very pretty. And I've no idea what I would do with it or why I needed it, really. But, you know, when you look at something, you think, oh, I'm just really tempted by that. I've got a, an, an alpha itch I should scratch. And I should think that most itches you, you need to scratch probably aren't good. And I suspect that this is an, another that probably isn't good. Um, but it's it sadly it's sold. So uh, so I missed out there, I'm afraid. My money is still safely safely locked away in the bank where I can't get to it. I've not ruined myself with Alpha ownership. Although, I did still feel the need to get something and an opportunity came up. And I hadn't said this to you either, Jim, actually. I was on one of the the various different forums that I'm on and two friends of mine have got a uh, Focus ST170 that belonged to to my mate's sister that wrote off a classic Rolls-Royce the other day. Uh, By wrote off, I mean it completely obliterated it. But it does mean the engine is suddenly available. So I put uh, two things together and I've decided to take the 170 brake horsepower engine from the Focus, take the engine out of the Onion and uh, just do a little bit of work to the engine and then refit that to the Onion uh, and, whoa, and whoa, instantly whoa, have whoa, a bit whoa, of a whoa, power whoa, upgrade. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What? Whoa. What? Would the ST engine not be better served in the Fist? No, because it's a Z-Tech. Yeah, the, the fist engine's a Duratec, so that's just going to be work. Although, I can have the gearbox with a six-speed get-track box, which we could stick in the fist, if the ratios work. That might actually work well, to be fair, because at least it might actually be able to accelerate going up the hill at Brands Hatch towards uh, towards Druids, rather than just sort of bogging down or even slowing down, despite having your foot flat down to the floor. So, I don't know, that, that could maybe work. But again, that does sound like work to me. So What you will notice if you're listening to this is I skillfully managed to divert the conversation away from the fact that I cheated on my podcast colleagues to talk about Alfa Romeos. And amazingly, I didn't get any abuse for discussing Alphas. And I think that's because everyone is kind of a closet Alfa fan. Is that uh, is that fair? 
I think we probably all are indeed. I think that's that's not not even really closet. To be fair, it's just I I like them. I, although I, unlike you, I haven't had the the urge to scratch that itch. You know, I look at them and think they're very pretty. Yes, I'd like one. Yes, I'd buy one. But I don't I don't feel that that urge to rush out oh, and buy I do. one. I do. I fancy a one five. In in truth, I fancy a one five nine estate because I think that's a very well proportioned car and very pretty. And I like the three individual headlamps on the front. It's just a great looking, a great looking piece of machinery. And as a, as a practical, semi-practical, mostly practical car. Um, <laughs> You're trying to convince yourself now. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to convince It's not necessarily working. Um, it just seemed like a good idea. And then this, this Brera popped up and it was, as I say, all the right, all the right bits in, in all the right places. And all the right belts done and everything else in it. Just think, oh, I, I could open myself to a whole lot of hurt here. I kind of fancy it. I think they're a bit too heavy to be sporty. I think they're a bit too under-engined to be slow unless you go for the V6. And that's ruinously expensive to do the timing belt. It's several thousands, I think, to do the, the various different... I think it's three-chain assembly on there. So it's a, this is really, really exciting geeky detail for you so it's a, a gm engine block but with alfa romeo heads on them which makes it very expensive to, to look after to the extent where i think if i if i went for the bigger engine one it would be cheaper to run something like an aston martin on a uh, on a daily basis due to the cost of the parts which i think is hilarious the fact that you could drive something more exotic uh, and end up with a smaller bill but but there you go the, the temptations then you never know at some point that might well happen but in the meantime i've had to make do by uh, by just buying myself a new engine and uh, something I can stick in the onion, I appreciate a slightly different uh, type of vehicle. And if you if you're interested in this, my weird and geeky obsession, then do go out and uh, again check out the playlist on our, our YouTube channel. Um, there are many many parts of this now, and I have just been toiling and cutting my myself to pieces and squeezing and gaps underneath the car to try and get this thing down and on the ground so I can uh, I can have a little bit of a garage revamp done, which is in a weekend's time basically so I've not got a lot of time to get it in inverted commas finished but at least on the ground and, and movable so yeah if you want to have a look check out our YouTube channel I couldn't figure how you could get under the car because I certainly couldn't have got under that car breathe in but then but then I'm a, I'm a little older than you and carrying rather more weight I guess well here's the thing I was chatting to my dad about this because he came out he'd come over on Saturday um to help do some bits and pieces in the garden and do some wiring and stuff and he said, look, you crack on and get the car sorted today and I'll do this. And he squeezed underneath to help me get the fuel tank in place. because It was all a bit tricky to get in. So plenty of lube. And um, I managed to slip the fuel tank in. And uh, I, was, I was saying to him that this is it's not that long ago. Some photos of me. I must have been probably about 20 laying in the snow on a piece of carpet so I could fix something underneath the car whilst it was jacked up and, you know, on, on an axle stand. So not even really high off the ground. And I got up from being under this. <laughs> Basically, what happened is, I'll be completely honest, I got stuck. So I, I managed to wiggle myself <laughs> into a position under the car in the middle. And then I suddenly went, how am I going to get out? Because I was surrounded by axle stands and bits on the floor. And so I had to sort of turn myself round. And then so I'm not that much older, not that much older, only about 15 years older. But there I am sort of getting cramp. Uh, with one leg up against the side of the garage, <laughs> garage wall, trying to try to squeeze out from underneath the car, and I, you know, when you think this is starting to lose its appeal, 
If you've not got a um, uh, a creeper, you know, a little skateboard thing to slide the boot on. I do. There's a slight problem with that. And that's because it's difficult to get the car very high in the garage for two reasons. Firstly, because my axle stands only go up to about two foot, maybe a little bit less. And and secondly, if I get it higher than it currently is, I can't open the garage door. So it, it, or I have ah. to put the car too far back to get into the toolbox. So it has to be kind of where it is. And if I lay on the creeper... It either gets stuck in the ridges on the floor. There's actually a load of cardboard on the floor at the moment to try and protect it whilst it's wax oiling. And here's the second problem. Because it's been cold, I've been wearing a body warmer in the garage over my over my um, like jumpers or whatever I've got. Gilet, as they're called these days. And if I go underneath the car on a creeper, I kind of get stuck between the two. <laughs> so it's like, a, I'll just, as I slide out, I'm just covered in wax oil. So it's really, really unpleasant. What you need to do is hurry up and get your roller shutter door fitted, yes. and then that will make yes. life a lot easier, won't it? Because you can have the car further towards the front. Exactly that. And there's space then to put things above the car on the on the ceiling, which gets more stuff out of the way, which means there's a bit more space to work. And These are all good things, but I need to get the car complete enough to be able to do that in the first place. And hence, I've got a weekend left to do it. But, and no spoilers, uh, if you haven't seen the full series yet... Um, we are at a point where the um, the car is near enough ready to move now. Um, I've got a few a few bits to do, which means probably a few late nights in the week, um, and then some some hardcore uh, action on the car over the over the weekend. And it should hopefully be able to to drive out and stop under its own steam. Well, not steam, but you know vapor of oil. That's what it should uh, hopefully be able to, to drive out in its own mist of oil. You've just sort of set me thinking that uh, any respectable and self-respecting DIY mechanic up until not so many years ago would have had a pit covered in boards. Everybody had one uh, a generation ago and now nobody has one. This is a problem. I have worked in, in a pit. I worked in a place that had an MOT station, a I can't remember what they call it, grandfather rights or something similar, that could still continue being a pit. And it is miserable working in a pit, and you smack your head on everything. Yep, that's true. It's just dank and cold and horrible. So it's useful. It is useful, particularly at home, assuming that when you dig down, you don't hit water, (laughs) which is another problem. I think it's fairly safe to say that they're not the safest either pits, are they? Because it's uh, it's quite easy to get trapped in one if... uh, if something goes wrong, you know, if, if the car's up on the ramp and you've got the height, then it's it's far safer. Yeah, well, talking from uh, from experience of a colleague, it was right at the end of a rather long pit, uh, and it happened to be full of petrol, and the petrol caught fire, so he ended up rather badly burnt after that. Um, so I think uh, I think the disappearance of pits is uh, is probably no bad thing for the general health and safety of amateur mechanics. I think it is a good thing. Yeah. I'm not suggesting they bring them back because well, for all the reasons that we've collectively just stated, it's just I was sort of uh, mourning the passing of them, if you like, the fact that they just mm. you don't see them anymore. Perhaps a small or a shallow pit might be the answer. So just down and, and smooth enough to get under the car on a creeper, um, but not so deep that uh, that you could end up trapped in there or or you rely on it for too much, just to uh, just to ease access a little bit, maybe. Mm, might be helpful. Stop the car from grounding out and everything as well whenever I go anywhere. Just uh, <laughs> put parts in there. Oh, is this going to clear? Is this going to clear? Oh, I can just, just adjust it up a bit, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think probably once phase one is sorted and all the suspension and brakes are all overhauled, phase two is done, we've got the engine in there. Hopefully I won't have to spend too much time underneath it. 
I can certainly see why people pay people to do stuff to cars because, it, you know, it is particularly this time of year. And if you've got a lot to do, it is pretty grueling um, just to keep at it and keep at it. But hopefully the end result will be worthwhile. And I guess we'll find out soon enough whether it was. There you go. Stay tuned. I'm roughly double your age. So uh, and I'm pretty much decided now I don't want to be under cars anymore. Let somebody else do the uh, the underneath stuff. I've exceeded expectations here by uh, by coming in twice as fast as you there and uh, and giving up. Hmm. I didn't earn the title mean mechanic for no reason. I'm too bloody mean to pay anybody else to do something I can still do myself. <laughs> well, there will be electric soon. You won't have to do anything to them, so that's it. I have to worry about it. <laughs> oh, I'll fiddle for those as well. <laughs> Make sure you lick your fingers first before you touch any of the orange wires. Exactly so. I was told years ago that wires were just vehicles for carrying smoke. So when something <laughs> went wrong, it was smoke would come out of one end or the other. That's because they were full of smoke. It seemed reasonably logical. Disclaimer from UK Motor Talk. If you want to work on your EV, don't. It will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and on that meandering note, I guess it's time we probably say goodbye. So from me, Mike, it's goodbye. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. Take care, all. Um, from me, Graham, take care. Bye-bye now. UK Motor Talk, a first-take media production.